Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. It's a special Veterans Day edition of the podcast. So I have Patrick Fegis from Fegis Barbecue and Jim Buchanan from Dozier's Barbecue coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co host this week. She is an expert on food, wine, and good times. We follow her on Instagram at Swanky Maven. Felice Sloan, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. I am doing amazing. Happy to be back. I haven't been here in a while. I say that all the time. So, Eric, you need to fix that. I just feel like I miss my people and they miss me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I I, I know. I know. But, but here you are today. And it, it wasn't that... It wasn't that long ago that you were on the show. You were on last month, so I. Okay. It's, okay. You know. Let's be fair. I keep. Fair. I'm keeping you in the rotation. Don't worry. Thank you. Okay. Okay. All right. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one. Master Chef winner Christine Ha, and her husband John Sa are bringing the Blind Goat, their concept from Bravery Chef Hall to the same Spring Branch Shopping Center as Fiji's Barbecue and Shoot the Moon. Felice, let me, let me start at the beginning. Are you, a, are you a Christine Ha fan? Have you been to either the Blind Goat or Sin Chow, her restaurant in the former Beaver Space off of Washington Avenue? Yes, I am a fan. I haven't gone to, I've gone to one, not both, Blind Goat. And I think it is a great addition to Spring Branch because, you know, I love, 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 love Spring Branch and where she's going like that. Can we say the block is hot, honey? That block right there is on fire. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's it's becoming a real destination. But but why don't you start with what do you like about the blind goat? Because obviously we have. A lot of Vietnamese food in Houston, but but I, I think you're right. I think there's something about the blind goat that's a little different. Well, you know what? I like the way, the just the, I guess the Southern, you know, I like that. When people take Texas and Houston and put their spin on it, right? Like the things that we like, um, I think it's a good spin on it. And one other thing, I think it's approachable where um, for people that's like well I don't really eat Vietnamese or I'm like well you kind of do you know like I like the fusion of it yeah no I I I think that's right I mean I you know she had sort of originally envisioned the blind goat as kind of like a, a pub almost you know dedicated to the kind of street food and and sort of drinking food that she has encountered in her travels in Vietnam and and obviously, you know, kind of what you can sell at Bravery shifted because of the pandemic. They they sort of switched it up to be sort of more noodle dishes and stuff that you could do to go. But but she really wants to get back to kind of the original vision. And obviously having a dedicated space will allow her to do that. And, and with an emphasis on sort of more like seafood plates, which which I think is actually really exciting. I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, I think you and I were kind of talking about this a little bit. Um, we didn't kind of go into detail 
um, that part, you were saving that. Like, police read the article. I mean, you kind of did me like that. So, you know, <laughs> um, so I, I'm interested to see the, um, I guess, the new life of it. Like, what what she envisioned for it more originally to see what that looks like. And I, I think it's the space for it where now um, that area likes to eat. Um, it's very eclectic dining. So I think she will do, the blind goat will do well there. I think so. You know, and, and I think, you know, that area, right? Long Point is really known for kind of mom and pop, more traditional restaurants. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Korean uh, there's a lot of Mexican and, and it's all, it, they're all good places, right? There's, it's not mm-hmm. there, but you know, they kind of cater to a specific community. And, and I think she's looking for, like you said, something that's a little more approachable, maybe for newer residents or for people who are less familiar with the cuisine. And, and also that's a little more elevated in terms of service style, presentation, decor. You know, I think she, she basically said, you know, she and her husband moved to Spring Branch recently, and she said there's not really a place in the neighborhood that they want to hang out at all the time. And of course, you know, the Spring Branch residents were howling on social media about, oh, well, we've got this great place and that great place. And have you been to X and Y? It's like, look, the point isn't that those places don't have appeal or that you're not allowed to like them, right? That's not the point. The idea is that she sees an opportunity to do something a little bit different. It's more in line with her taste. And given her track record, the idea is that that might appeal to other people too. Right. Correct. No, I like it. I um, I was excited to hear about it. And I'm excited to see what, you know, what she does in the space. And also for folks like me, um, I like to be able to pull up to the parking lot, park my car and walk in, right? Like, <laughs> yes. let's just, let's, I just, you know, again, nothing against to having to look for parking and valet. I, I know there's a lot of people like that. So I think also you get that it's just easy in and out. And I like it. Right. We, we should say you are the ultimate anti-valet. You, and you, I, you will park three blocks away and walk rather than turn I your will, keys over to someone I will, else. I will. Eric's like, oh, police is coming. She's, she's a mile back. I mean, it, yeah. So just for that, I'm happy as well. Right. No, I, right. And, and this shopping center has, has plenty of parking, acres plenty. of parking, hundreds okay. of spots, <laughs> no shortage. So from that yes. perspective, yes, you're well suited. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the other, the other thing about, opening a dedicated blind goat is that, you know, at Bravery, the owners of the food hall run the beverage program. That's, that's how that, and, and obviously there are wines and beers that are stocked that are sort of designed to pair with the food that, that the different concepts serve, but in her own space, she can have full control, right? It, it's a yes. cocktail program. I didn't even think about it like that. Yes. Yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Uh, a more appealing selection of, wines and beers that are really tailored to it. And, and that's been part of the Sin Chow experience too, is having those creative cocktails and, and finding the right mix. And so I, I think, you know, from that perspective too, the blind goat having 
a bigger dedicated home will allow the concept to evolve in really interesting ways. Yes, we like evolution. So congratulations and Spring Branch, you know, y'all are getting the love right now. It's and that's major. Like that's a major get for Spring Branch. So Yeah, it's kind of becoming the new emerging dining neighborhood. I think there's that sense that a lot of areas inside the loop are maybe not saturated, but but certainly more expensive to open in. And if you go out not far, right? Not, you know, still very much inside the beltway, but that there's a lot of young families there. There's a lot of young professionals and they're all looking for, they're all looking for places designed from, from their life inside the loop. So yes, this, this will appeal to them. Right. It's like a, a neighborhood spot, but not really right. Like if you live in the neighborhood, you got all these cool places to choose. If you don't, it's, it's, uh, it still gives what it's supposed to give. So yes. Right. All right. Let us move on to topic number two, Bluestone Lane, an Australian inspired New York based coffee shop announced that it has signed a lease for the former Bex prime space in the Heights. Felice, I know you you travel quite a bit. This is uh, this is popular in New York. They've got locations in Boston, D.C., Philly, and then some on the West Coast in the Los Angeles and San Francisco areas. So let me just ask you: in your in your travels, have you encountered a bluestone lane? Encountered, yes. Um, frequented, made my way to it. No, because you know I'm not like a coffee coffee kind of girl. So the way I would have went there would be to stop and do some work, grab a tea, and it, I just haven't come across it. But I look for, you know, I like coffee shops though, but yeah, no. Right, right. No, not, not, not at all. Not yet. Well, I, I will say they, this has been around since, uh, what, I think 2013 or 14 in New York. Mm-hmm. They now have about 50 locations and they take credit for being one of the first places to introduce things like flat whites and smashed avocado toast to America. Now, obviously, you know, claims like that are hard to evaluate. I, I could tell you I was drinking flat whites at Greenway Coffee well before uh, 2013 or 14. So I don't know. I don't know about all that. But certainly, uh, you know, if they if they were among the first to do it in New York, then more power to them, I guess. More power. To, yeah, maybe in New York. Correct. Yes. Um, one thing I was um, thinking, you know, the Heights, it's very interesting. A lot of people, when they move here from other places, I don't feel like they have someone on the ground here advising them because a lot of people go to the Heights and Heights people don't come for me. Okay. I love the Heights. I just feel that everyone tries to go to the Heights and the Heights has a lot of coffee. You know, we have good coffee shops in the Heights. I won't say it's saturated, but there's good coffee shops. I feel like maybe they should have went somewhere else, you know, maybe. But hey, no one asked me. Well, but I I do think there's that sort of prestige of being in the Heights. You know, it's become a very prominent dining neighborhood. And of course, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd, right? You you look around and you see you see tenfold coffee. You see Boomtown coffee. You see even Revival Market does 
coffee and breakfast yeah. and you think you know this is a neighborhood that really likes coffee like let's <laughs> let's do it correct correct you know well, i did have one thought and and let me run this by you and you can tell me whether you think i'm crazy or not but you know they're opening basically across the street from where downhouse was which of course closed earlier this year and you know downhouse was a lot of things but when it first opened it was that kind of neighborhood cafe with a great coffee program, you know, breakfast, lunch, obviously they did dinner and had cocktails. So it's not, it's not a one-to-one analogy, but I, I mean, I remember back in the day, that's one of the things people really liked about Downhouse was you could get breakfast there and you could get really great coffee there. And so my, my thought is like, well, Downhouse is gone and this is moving in right across the street. And, and to your point, again, it has a lot of parking, which is rare in the Heights, which, which someplace right. <laughs> like Boomtown doesn't really have because it's on 19th Street. Mm-hmm. And so I thought like, this is kind of an interesting, an interesting choice and, and potentially a really, a really good fit for the area. When you put it like that, I had see you really, and this is why you do what you do, Eric. You know, this is why you're Eric Sandler. So let me just say, yeah, you know, if I think about it like that, you are, they may be on to something. You are correct. Because again, when we talk about that whole in and out, the parking situation, um, um, yeah, because some of those coffee shops, they get full really, really quick and you're trying to find somewhere to park, right? And I'm like, it's just coffee. I'm driving around. I'm going on where I have to go and going somewhere else. So you're on to something, whereas... Back in the day, I did love going to Downhouse for just as a cafe, just to chill, to meet friends, like have coffee, do breakfast. Just yeah. so, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. You're coming around. I'm coming around. I'm coming around. Yes. All right. Well, so we'll see. I mean, obviously, we'll see what happens with Bluestone Lane. It's not going to open until sort of the beginning of next year. But it, it does have this track record of success in other cities. And I, I mean, I, I think it's a really great location. And so, you know, I look forward to trying it. I, you know, I'll, I'll definitely go in for an avocado toast or a sandwich or a bowl or, a, you know, and a, and a couple of coffees or whatever. That, that's appealing to me. Yeah, I'm going to check them out. Yeah, I definitely will check them out. And now that you've kind of put it the way you put it, I'm like, yeah, I may be looking forward to a little bit. I'm not going to say if I am or not, but I'm going to check them out. How about that? All right. That works for me. Let's do topic number three of a new nightclub opening in Houston this week. It is called Zanaku. It is from the Hospitable Viking, which we know from, well, they, they had the Commoner and Boulevardier, which they have converted into Zanaku. They opened Cherry downtown in the former uh, Nightingale room space earlier this year. And I, I gotta say, I, I'm not, I'm not really a nightclub guy. That's not really my scene. But I am highly intrigued by Zanaku because of what they have. They have digital mapping technology, and so they have all these anime style graphics, and they built these like custom walls with different shapes, and these projectors perfectly render or display the images of these graphics onto the walls. And they could change over the course of the night. So I've, I've been asked not to, to spoil exactly 
how they change, but I'll just say if you're upstairs after midnight, you might notice the graphics are different than they were before midnight. And also that some of them are interactive. So, you know, there's like paintings that have a projector behind them. And if, you know, a bartender or a manager or something sees you staring at the painting, they can trigger the women in the painting to wink at you, which I just think sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I... That's the maybe guy video game thing in you. Like, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> well, intrigued. Fair. You know, I'm like, what? Like, I just want to have fun with my friend. And I think it would be fun. So let me let me go back. I think the concept is very interesting. It's fun. Um, I, I'm like going, I was trying to figure out what age that would appeal to. And I guess it could p- a- appeal to a lot of age groups. However, I'm like, I'm not, if I'm staring at, depending on how many drinks and I'm, I've had, and I'm looking at the painting and it flirts with me, I'm just like, what? <laughs> it just seems, <laughs> you know, I'm like, do they play good music? You know, those are the things I'm like, right? <laughs> like, I, I asked about the music. It's going to be sort of sped up EDM versions of popular songs, some K-pop, and maybe a little bit of like Japanese hip hop, just to set and the And that's mood. what I get. And that, that's when you say, I, that's what I get. So I feel like, and that's what their theme is. I feel like I am in a video game, right? I feel like I'm a part, everything, but that's what they're, that's what they're going for. So I think that there is a market for it. I will definitely go sober to see if I get it. And then once I get there, have a couple of drinks and see if I'm more into it. Because I definitely feel like it is very niche. Um, and yeah, I'm intrigued. That's it. I don't, I don't think it's going to be for me. Yeah. Well, I, I think that that's fair. I, I will say... Right. Like I've been, I'm not an anime connoisseur. I'm not a, I'm not a super fan by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, if you're, if you're my age, which is to say, you know, your late thirties, your early forties, you may have seen a movie like princess Mononoke in the theaters, or you may have geeked out over ghost in the shell back in the day. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, if you just look at like comic con or any of these other events, People, or even the, the recent night market that the, the Shun guys hosted, there is a, a real community around Japanese culture in this city. And people love to dress up. They, they love to be involved in these worlds. And so I'm not necessarily saying that I expect people to cosplay when they go to Zanaku. But, but then again, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me to see that necessarily, right? If and and I do think you're right. I think there is something about the sort of video game idea, these really immersive worlds, and it, and it's just it's so different, right? Like when I when I talked to Carson Hager, who's the owner, he's like, look, we have we have patio bars, we have nightclubs with you know bottle girls and sparklers, and there's like four or five Anvil style cocktail bars, and that's yep. what we do in this town, and yep. so. Do something different. And, and he, he went to LA and he went to a whole bunch of places and he was just 
one of the things that really impressed him was that bars in LA are built around a story. And, and in this case, in Zadaki's case, the story is it's like a, you know, Japanese, maybe Yakuza hangout in the near future. And you can, you're, you're welcome, but you have to be careful. You have to be respectful yeah. of the, the people that are there. Yeah. And, so, I, and I totally get that. Like when yeah. you describe it and I think exactly, exactly what you just, he sold that. He's, that's exactly what it is. Right. So I think it'll do well. Like, that's why I'm like, who are, who are they catering to? What's the, so it definitely has a story. Right. And I think that's, that's going to be their home. Like people are, people will come here to go check it out. Right. Like what? Cause it's not like any other place in Houston. So I think for that reason, also people that maybe aren't like into anime and all that, like, but they love like graphics and things that are different and they want to take their out of town guests to something like, well, let's just go hang out. I would totally take people there. Right. Cause I can start there and we can go somewhere else, but it's a, it, it's a good story. Absolutely. All right. And if they I'm have great say, look, look, wait, and if they have great drinks, check, check. Yeah, I, I think the drinks will be, I, I mean, I suspect the drinks will be on the, the sweet and colorful side. They'll look great on Instagram. But, you know, that's not necessarily a problem. I mean, I, right. I've had the drinks at, I've had the drinks at present company, which is arguably the most Instagrammable bar in Houston. <laughs> right, right. And right. they're smart enough to have, you know, light, fruity drinks, sweet drinks for some, and then boozy drinks for other people. So, other people, correct. I, you know, this will be, they'll have, they'll have them. And really what most people, what most people at environment want is a vodka soda and they'll definitely yeah. have those. <laughs> so mission accomplished. All right. I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. Today's show is sponsored by Balconis Distilling. Balconis makes green to glass whiskeys at their distillery in Waco. I could talk about all the awards they've won or that they're one of the pioneers of the growing American single malt movement. Instead, I want to talk about flavor, specifically of their flagship Texas One single malt. Pour a dram and you'll get aromas of toffee and overripe fruit. Take a sip and savor the silky texture and flavors like lightly toasted bread with butter and marmalade. The finish offers more of those coffee toffee notes with wood flavors that round it all out. Personally, I drink my whiskey neat, but you're welcome to try it with a little water or even in any classic whiskey cocktail. Look for Balconis in stores, bars, and restaurants across Texas. Try it. I think you'll like it. Felice, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about Toro Toro. This is the new Pan Latin Steakhouse that just opened in the Four Seasons Hotel downtown. It comes to us from Richard Sandoval, who has over 50 restaurants around the world, including a Toro Toro in Fort Worth, and more important, locally, the he developed Bayou and Bottle, which is the lobby bar at the Four Seasons that I know you're a fan of and I'm a fan of. Yep. So, Felice, let me just throw it to you. What do you think of our dinner at Toro Toro? If I would have said delightful, I'm so I'm having such a great time. This is amazing. 
this experience. I think Chef would have been like, he, it's like, really? Like, I was very impressed. And I don't know why I was so impressed because the Four Seasons, like, they could do a blueprint for hotels that have successful restaurants, right? Like, it's very hard for people to do it. A lot of rest, um, hotels don't do it well. They do it well. And um, yeah, it was a wonderful dinner. It was, I, I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I tend to agree with you. You know, I, I do like a good steakhouse and I like a traditional steakhouse. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like, I like shrimp cocktail and wedge salad and, and all that stuff as much as any, and cream spinach as much as anybody. But I also like steakhouses that are willing to do things a little differently. You know, anyone who's listened to the show or who follows me on Instagram knows how much I enjoy Doris Metropolitan, the Israeli-inspired steakhouse for being a little lighter, a little fresher. And, and I think Toro Toro is really onto something because it's not trim cocktail and cream spinach, right? Like you can, right. you know, you could have sashimi to start or you could have a sushi roll to start and and it's all sort of designed to be shareable right or smoke look or smoke guac you know <laughs> right smoke guacamole was was absolutely delicious i mean yeah so what were what were maybe i mean you could talk about the smoke guac if you want or or maybe what are a couple of the dishes you really liked yes yeah, so love the smoke guacamole like because guacamole is so simple so many people like don't do it well, right? And we have places have great guac in the city, but adding like that little smoke element to it, and it was just it was done really well. That started things off. I'm like, well, I think I remember said to you, well, if the, if the guacamole tastes like this, we're in for a treat, you know. And literally, it it started it started an evening of wonderful dining um that was one of my favorites um the short rib there's a short rib i don't know what it's called on the menu you may know the name of it on the menu but it's um short ribs uh kind of like a short rib taco right but you build it out where you grab have the short rib they give you three different sauces ranging in heat levels um you kind of put that together with a lettuce wrap and honey, let me tell you, that was the business. That was probably one of my favorite. I had a couple of favorite bites, but that was, you know, I had to narrow it down and I had to narrow it down because I knew you were going to ask me that. That was one of my favorite bites of the night. Yeah, they call it the bone-in beef rib al carbone. Yes. I, you, you get texture, you get flavors. And one of the things I did, I mixed the, 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 the sauces from mild to really hot. And yeah, that was a wonderful bite. But, you know, uh, the dessert was good. Where we had the... So they call the, it uh, La Bamba. La Bamba. Just like they just dropped the whole bowl and it splattered all over the table. Not in a nice, respectful, delicious way <laughs> right. of a splat. Um, those were some of my favorites. What about you? Well, I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for a tomahawk anytime. And this, of course, is sort of doused in tequila and then lit on fire. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I like the presentation. I thought 
I thought the tequila gave it a nice crust. I, I didn't think that, I don't know that it imparted a lot of flavor, but then again, I don't necessarily know that I want a lot of uh, flavor in between me and me and a delicious tomahawk ribeye. So, <laughs> so that I thought that was good. But uh, that, that silly uh, side of potatoes three ways where they're, they're mashed, fried and roasted. I thought that was, that was very delicious. And then, you know, they have a whole ceviche bar. And I just thought that uh, Amarillo ceviche with the ahi tuna and the, the, the mango and the cucumber and the red onion. It, it, I mean, it's a pretty traditional kind of saucy ceviche, but, you know, just super fresh and delicious. Really, really checked all the boxes for me. Yes. And I think we would be remiss if we did not mention that salmon dish. Yes, with the bacon jam. So good. <laughs> that was, <laughs> we were like, okay, this salmon is prepared perfectly. This is how salmon yeah, supposed it to be was prepared. medium rare, <laughs> okay. which is <laughs> so rare to see at a restaurant. It was, it was just, it was moist and flavorful. And, you know, so often salmon is cooked medium or even well done. Right. And it dries out. And this was so, this is, this is, this is like what people like about salmon. You, correct. Where you're like, oh, wow. And it was just like a, a welcome surprise, just how it was prepared and with the bacon jam and just the thoughtfulness of just constructing the, the way they construct the bacon jam. And I, yeah, it was a wonderful night out. And, um, I think one of the things you said, is there a place for this, right? One of the things, what do you think it fits? It definitely fits in because we don't have a lack of steakhouses, okay? Like someone's like, we well, talked about coffee houses. What about the steakhouses? Yes, there's not a lack of steakhouses. However, we don't have a lot of specialty steakhouses that just kind of push the envelope and dare to be different. Like a Dar's Metropolitan. It fits on that scale where um, someone recently asked me, they saw my story and said, oh, well, I, I saw your story. So, I, you know, my husband likes a lot of red meat. I'm more seafood. I'm like, it is, I'm like, I had this conversation while I was there. It has something for everybody. You can have different tastes, but someone likes lighter things that don't, doesn't need red meat. You will go there and have an amazing dinner. I think that's right. And I think that ability to cater to a diverse crowd when not everybody wants red meat and, or, or even just that you could, you could go and have a casual dinner and you can build it around those small plates. You could have empanadas and a sushi roll and, you know, maybe split the salmon or have the chicken and know that they'll be just as good as the steaks is really appealing. And that's one of the things I like about Doris is I, you don't have to get a steak there. Yeah. And, but if you do, you'll know the stakes are great. And of course, you know, I think, I think the Four Seasons is a really, it's a nice environment. It, it's got a little bit of a sense of vacation to it. You know, the service is going to be super polished. Now, look, obviously we were invited. We were their guests. They know what I do for a living and why we were there. So I, I don't want to go too effusive because they were trying to impress us and, and they succeeded, but um you know, I just, I, I do think it's a really nice addition to downtown and, and, you know, combined with the reintroduction of the Palm, which now has a, 
a new menu and a, and a slightly more Italian direction, you know, it pairs really well with, with what's already there in terms of Pappas Brothers and Vic and Anthony's. And, and so I'm, I'm excited about downtown dining again. I am too. And let me just, um, because you're talking about that and probably by the end of the year, I won't put a date cause we don't have a date, but when you go there, and, you know, downtown has a lot of things to offer after dinner, before dinner. They're going to have a speakeasy, a real speakeasy. Like, you know, Eric and I got a sneak peek of it. Like, it's truly a speakeasy. If you don't know, like the folks listening, you are in the know. Other folks, they're not going to be in the know. They're going to be have dinner and go about their way. It's a speakeasy. You got to kind of knock to get access and it's right. it's hidden behind, behind it's going to be hidden behind a wall <laughs> yeah it's, it's going to be up beyond the main dining room yeah i think i i like that they're doing that and, and as much I as i too. as much as i like drinking it by you in bottle there is something kind of fun about a, a more private space something that's a little more secluded and you know lord knows i mean you know that hotel is a destination for celebrities visiting sports teams all that kind of stuff like you know, if you're if you're there on the right night, who knows who you may run into sitting across the bar from you. In the speakeasy, that's all I'm saying. So right. behind the wall, make your way. That's that that's my kind of fun. Like that's that's what I like to do. <laughs> that's my right. nightclub. <laughs> all right, that seems like a good place to wrap this up. <laughs> that does it for our restaurant of the week. Felice, thank you very much. Thank you, Eric. I look forward to next month. All right. And I will be back with Patrick Fegis and Jim Buchanan. I'm joined this week by two pitmasters and business owners, and both veterans, this podcast is coming out on Veterans Day, and so I thought it might be interesting to talk to them about their experiences in the military and, and how that shaped their careers. Let me start with Patrick Fegis, the owner of Fegis Barbecue. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Jim Buchanan, pitmaster at Dozier's Barbecue. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Patrick, let me... Let me start with you. Can we just kind of do the like the basic? What was your background in the military? What what branch did you serve? And and maybe when were you? When did you serve? Okay, yeah, uh, I joined up after high school, summer of two thousand three. Uh, I signed up to be a ninety two golf, which is food service. So that means everyone just shit on me. But obviously, food was uh, what I wanted to get into. Um, my f- after basic training in, in AIT, I ended up in Korea, up near the DMZ. And then as we rolled into year two of the Iraq war, uh, year two of the second war we were in, uh, they needed bodies. So they deployed, they were downsizing Korea. So they deployed us from Korea to uh, Ramadi, Iraq, which is a real popular decision. Um, I was in Ramadi, uh, so we got there August of 2004. 
uh, three months later, I, I get injured in a mortar explosion and get sent home uh, after a lengthy stay in the hospital. And then I'm medically discharged uh, October of 2005. So I was only in for a little over two years, but I, it was, uh, I got to see a lot of, a lot of stuff. It was eventful. All right. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll come back to that. I think Jim, Jim, what about you? I mean, when did you, when, when did you serve and, and what branch did you serve in? Well, I really feel old now after hearing Patrick say he went in in 2003. Um, I, I signed up, uh, actually the middle of my senior year of high school, uh, in 1986, um, and, uh, was on delayed entry for 11 months, uh, shipped out August of, uh, 86. Uh, and I was, uh, in for 11 years, uh, made that big trip to the, uh, to the sandbox the first time around. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was exciting. Uh, Jim modest. I think he did a lot cooler stuff. Uh, did some big boy, hard charger stuff. Yeah. I, I have a, a friend of mine who used to work on the civilian side of DOD and in what I will broadly define as intelligence, because I, I don't think he, he was never allowed to really tell me what he did for them. But, but I met one of his colleagues once who was an army ranger. And I said, Oh, what did that guy do for the Rangers? And he said, door kicker. And I understood immediately uh, what that meant. And I didn't ask a lot of questions about where and when he may or may not have kicked doors on, on behalf of uh, the government that represents me. Yeah, hashtag checks that box. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jim, how did you kind of make the transition from... I mean, 11 years is a long time. When did you sort of decide that like you had, it was time to, to move on and do something else? Yeah. Uh, so from a background standpoint, I, I was raised in the army. Uh, my father and his father and his father uh, were all career army officers. So I, I grew up in the, in the army lifestyle, uh, traveling the world, moving place to place every three, every three years. Uh, and I, I was never pressured to join the military. Uh, my dad left me to my own and I, uh, decided that it just made sense for me. I didn't have any self-discipline. I wasn't really sure who I was. Uh, and, and that was kind of the, uh, driving factor for me as far as joining the military. Uh, and I loved it. I mean, I, I really enjoyed being in the service myself, but at some point during my career, and I, and I can't really define it. I just, uh, I guess I just kind of became disillusioned with what we were doing or what we were supposed to be doing and decided that it was probably just time for me to transition to civilian life. And uh, I, I chose not to reenlist and, and uh, stepped out into the real world. Yeah, Patrick, I, I think Jim brings up an important point, which is kind of the motivation. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get a culinary education why did joining the army seem like the right decision for you? Um, no, uh, I mean, I already mentioned earlier, but I did the delayed entry program as well. Uh, I, when I was 17, I technically signed up. Uh, my mom had to go down there and sign with me. Um, but it's, I don't know, college. I was never really interested in college. Uh, I was a halfway decent, uh, track athlete. And if I'd really tried, I maybe could have gotten a scholarship, but, um, 
you know, single mom, five kids. I'm the oldest one. There's no way she's paying for college. So I just kind of had to figure out, keep myself out of working at Wendy's my whole life, which is where I was working in high school. I had to figure out a different game plan. And I don't know, it seemed like an adventure. It seemed like something that would be uh, interesting. <laughs> and it kind of was. And, you know, there's, there's Korean dishes on the menu at Fiji's Barbecue. That's always been uh, part of your cooking. I mean, what was that like being immersed in another culture? Oh, man, you know, like, it was great. I really wish I could have gone to Korea, like, in my 30s. I would have, like, enjoyed it more. I was, you know, 19 and a little pissed off that that was my first duty station. Uh, and we were up near the DMZ, so there's a lot of rules and restrictions for us. But, you know, the times that we did get to go out, and we went out with some of the Korean contractors, and they would take us out to eat. And, I mean, I fell in love with the food. I mean, it's it just was so good. Um, and that was really my first time out of Texas. So it was kind of like a while. We didn't travel a lot growing up. So it was kind of like a wild experience to like see this other culture. Uh, but it was cool. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. And I, like I said, if I was a little bit older, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Yeah. What about you? I mean, did you, do you think you benefited from, from seeing other parts of the world and, and encountering different cultures? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, going back to my days at Papa Charlie's and at Bucks, uh, a lot of the stuff that we did was, uh, you know, trying to find ways to to apply uh, traditional smoked proteins to um, food dishes that were from both different cultural backgrounds, and uh, that really kind of ties in with my experiences, both as an army brat and then my own time in service. Uh, you know, I, I was, I, we spent time in Greece and I was very, very fond of Greek food. So I was always trying to find ways to tie barbecue to, uh, Greek cuisine and, uh, you know, Asian cuisines and even some Middle Eastern dishes. So you, I mean, you have these experiences, you, you, you come back to civilian life. I mean, did you, what was that like? I mean, what was it like kind of getting back into the world and, and not having the sort of day-to-day, -day, you know, schedule of military life weird it was very weird what did you do what did you do professionally before you got into the food business uh so i i, I uh went to college uh uh started working in uh, litigation support uh worked in the litigation support industry for uh quite a while uh and was doing competition barbecue on the side uh just kind of to to satisfy my competitive needs um, that's where I met Wes Jarena. Uh, you know, we just kind of clicked because we had that similar military background and, uh, you know, kind of yin and yang, his personality, uh, offset mine. And, um, that's kind of how we ended up in the barbecue world, uh, as professional barbecuers. We were both competition barbecue guys, but it was, uh, uh, it, it was just kind of a, a, a odd transition to ending up uh on the food service side because it's not anything i had really ever aspired to patrick let me let me circle back with you i mean because you you went to the military to learn some basics about food service and you know obviously your your career got cut short because you were wounded but but what was it like coming back for you i mean did you did you dive right back into restaurants right away i, I know you were a teacher for a little while uh yeah so i mean 
the food service in the military is pretty terrible. And so I got jaded and I was actually planning. I mean, I had wanted to stay 20 years and I was just going to reenlist as something else other than cook. So when I got back, I did, I didn't want to do anything with food. Uh, but I just kind of spent a year just taking a break, uh, and still, still kind of recovering. And so, yeah, I ended up working at an after school program because I thought maybe I want to be a teacher. Um, but then just started cooking again and fell in love with it again. And then that's when, uh, one of the kids who, uh, was in the after school program, his dad was a chef. And so I talked to them and he got, he convinced me to go to culinary school. So that's how I ended up in culinary school and cooking. Did being in the military, you said you weren't really ready for college. It didn't really appeal to you. Did you find that having spent a couple of years in the military made it easier to go to college? Uh, I wouldn't call culinary school college. I mean, took some college courses and I definitely didn't enjoy it. And I'm really glad it was only a year. Uh, it's I'm just not that kind of person that, you know, writing papers and, you know, all that sort of like tests and quizzes. And and so um, I think it was proof that if I had tried to go to college, it wouldn't have ended well. But I was able to get through a year and a half of culinary school. Yeah, Jim, I'll, I'll say it because my, my degree is from UH downtown and there's a lot of veterans at that school. And I, like I was an older student. I, I had kind of, my, my first attempt at college, I had come up short. And, and so what I liked about the veterans was that they were, they kind of had the same attitude about I did. It wasn't like, I wasn't there to meet girls. I wasn't there to like make friends. I, I had a job to do, which was to get a degree and to get the best grades possible. And so like I could study with those guys because they, like we were all on the same page. Yeah, that, that, that's, that was my experience as well. Uh, you know, I, I took classes at U of H, uh, I guess now they call it University Park, um, but the actual U of H campus. And I took a bunch of classes at U of H downtown um, uh, in the evenings while I was working. And, you know, I, I, similar mindset, the, the more mature college students, um, you know, they, they, they weren't there to hang out. They weren't there to party. They weren't there to meet girls. They were there for one purpose and that was to get an education and get on with their lives. So you started in litigation support and I have, I, I spent some time there too. So I, I can tell you exactly like how so crushing and awful that, that business is. So what's it been like kind of being on your own and, and maybe, you know, would you say that your military background has, has made it easier to, to be an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I, and I think Patrick will probably tell you the same thing, you know, coming out of high school, I was a, uh, a, a less than, uh, less than stellar student, uh, you know, and I knew I didn't have the self-discipline or drive to really be successful. And, and that was kind of what drove me into the military was I knew I needed that. And, and that was not something I was going to find on my own. Uh, coming out of the military, you, you, you learn a lot about who you are. You learn about how to uh, drive yourself. You learn how to stay on task. Um, and, you, and you learn this sense of, hey, I got to keep going. You know, it's just one foot in front of the other until we get to where we're supposed to be. Uh, you know, so that really was a, a, a lesson that has served me well in my, in my professional life. Patrick, how about you? What, what would you say has been the big the, the lingering benefits of your, your time in the military? I mean, I'll agree with everything Jim just said, but I mean, there's a couple things that got to me um, just coming up, you know, the military, 
you know, you have to always have your head on a swivel and be aware of your surroundings, especially when you, you know, go to a war zone because uh, it's life or death. Uh, and they constantly say complacency kills. And I feel that really helped me as a line cook. And then now a chef is that I constantly tell my guys, I see everything. If you guys make a mistake, I'm going to see it because I'm constantly looking. Uh, I don't have this tunnel vision that some people do. And then another thing as far as, you know, being an entrepreneur and, uh, you know, a boss is that I had a drill sergeant one time uh, tell me that she'll never ask her soldiers to do anything she wouldn't do herself. And this is as they're standing in front of a uh, obstacle course in South Carolina after it had rained all night. And she ran through it and got completely covered in mud to show us how to do it. And that was just a leadership trait, I guess, that just really stuck with me. It's like, I, yeah. And so I, I tell these guys, like, I'm asking, you know, in this industry, you do a lot of stuff that's, you know, dirty or filthy or something you don't necessarily want to do, but it's just to get the job done. And I make a point of letting them know, it's like, hey, I, I've done this and I'll do it again. Um, it's just your turn to do it. And I think they appreciate that when they see me get down and dirty with them as well. Yeah, I think that that's exactly right. Uh, you really learn how to become a leader uh, and a team builder. You know, and I tell my people, just like Patrick, uh, I won't ever ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. And here I'm going to demonstrate that right now. Um, but more importantly, you know, you you you, you teach the people below you uh, how to do your job because you know if, if if something happens and you're not able to do it, somebody else has to pick up the slack and 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 take care of it. I, I think sometimes there's that compulsion is the wrong word, but, but people get territorial about knowledge sometimes, right? Like if, if, if I teach you how to replace me, then that, that might be the end of my time at this job, right? People, people hold on to knowledge because they think that makes them irreplaceable. And so I, I really admire that because I think, you know, your job as a chef or a, a business owner is you, you know, if you want to open like, you know, Patrick just opened a second restaurant, you can't, you can't do that if you have to be there every day. No, we can't go do this festival we just did. If I don't teach someone how to run the restaurant, you know, you get tied, you get chained to the restaurant if you don't do that. Yeah. And then you find yourself in a position where you're doing everything yourself. Yeah. Then you just be miserable. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now you have shared misery because you have a team to share it with. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And then, I, I mean, you both have obviously made commitments to different veterans' causes over the years. I mean, Patrick, uh, you know, you have a, a discount for veterans when they eat at the restaurant. You're giving away free food to veterans on Veterans Day. I mean, maybe talk about just being a part of that community and how you interact with, with other veterans when you see them. Uh, I mean, for me, it's just kind of like a sign of respect. Like, we've all, I think that's why Jim and I get along so well, is we've all been in the, we were in the shit. And maybe not together, but we know what it's like. And so it's just like when when veterans come in, you know, it's like, hey, man, I know you suffered too. And I know you went through this. And so I just just sign of respect. And, um, you know, we get some we don't ask them for their military ID, uh, just the honor system. And if someone wants to lie about it, that's on them. That's on their soul. But, uh, you know, we've gotten some repeat veterans at Spring Branch. Uh, that, you know, I've gotten a chance to sit down and talk to, and it's just, it's just a great community um, for the most part. Everyone is a lot of mutual respect. So it's, it's kind of cool to have those people come in 
and uh, and hear their stories as well. Yeah, we don't, uh, you know, Dozier's, we don't offer a, a veteran discount per se, um, but, you know, we do a lot of veteran, uh, a, a lot of outreach to veteran organizations. You know, there's some nonprofits that uh, I help out from time to time with uh, food for events and things like that. And it, it, like Pat said, it's, you know, it's just a way of uh, giving back to guys who, uh, very frankly, don't really get much from um, from our government or our community as a whole. Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of like you know you 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 can't you tend to get looked over. Uh, people forget that you know we've been at war for twenty something years, and there's a lot of people, men and women, from all service branches that are coming back, and they have needs, they have issues, and somebody's got to be there to lift them up and support them. Yeah, and let's be honest, the you know John Public, the media really only care about veterans when it suits their agenda and just leave it at that. I won't get on my soapbox. So I think Jim and I, it's a way for just to let these guys know we appreciate them uh, every day. Um, and that, you know, they've earned it. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly as guilty of that as anyone. I mean, I don't, I don't really know much about military service. It was never something, you know, I considered, even though I had, you know, previous generations, you know, my father spent a couple of years in the Air Force, you know, my grandfather served in World War II, but it was never something I aspired to do. And and so I I do think these conversations are important because because you're right, we have millions of people who've who've gone to war and and we don't really focus on it very much. Yeah, it's it's, you know, it's it's unfortunate um but you know, this country was founded uh, uh, by people who were willing to take up arms to support uh, their belief in a certain lifestyle. And it's still very prevalent in uh, our, our life today, uh, our world today here in the U.S. You know, we're one of the only countries that doesn't have compulsory military service. We're literally all volunteer uh, on the DOD side. Um, and, you know, because we don't have that compulsory service, there are a lot of families that don't have you know, that, that experience of having somebody uh, ship out or go to war uh, or what have you. And I, I think that uh, a lot of folks forget um, that, you know, we do have all of these people that have made that commitment uh, and we're not special. I mean, I, I certainly don't expect for people to treat me um, like I'm special just because I raised my right hand and swore to defend, defend the constitution. I did it for me. I didn't do it for anybody else. Um, I, I did it because I believed in, uh, this, this, you know, notion of liberty and democratic freedom. Um, but you know, people do, people do forget that this country is what it is because of all of the people that have raised their right hand, just like I did, just like Pat did. Yeah. And these last, these last two conflicts were, I don't know if people realize this, uh, the last 20 years was the first long-term engagement with a hundred percent volunteer force. Um, every war leading up to this um, had a draft. So it's, I mean, Jim and I were part of that. Uh, so like, yeah, we, we signed up to do it ourselves. No one, no one forced us. Uh, thank God. But you know, it's, it's, uh, I think this generation um, has earned the respect they deserve. Did you say has earned or has oh, not earned. Yeah, they've earned the respect that they deserve just because it was 100% their choice to sign up and serve. Yeah, Jim, you said you, you don't want special treatment or, or recognition, but but what, what would you like to see civilians just 
be more aware of when we we think about the commitments that veterans have made? Um, I, you know, I can't really speak to that. I, I think that it, uh, it, it's just important for people to remember that you know there there's a lot of people in our in our communities who have uh, voluntarily uh, taken you know taken a, a an oath to defend the Constitution and have gone to uh, you know, hostile lands to defend the rights of everybody here in the United States. And, um, you know, it's important for people to remember that and that, you know, these people that come back, they, they don't really get much support from uh, the government, at least not to the extent that they should. Um, and, you know, they certainly don't get it from the community as a whole. There are some great organizations out there, but um, it, it, it's tough for some of those organizations to get people from the uh, civilian community to really step up and help out. And that that's that's something that I think people need to keep in mind and maybe look to find a way to help out. Well, maybe shout out just just one or two of your favorites or or the people you think are doing a great job. Yeah, so uh, Camp Hope um, is a, a tremendous organization. Lone Survivor Lone Survivor Foundation is a great organization. Um, I've recently started working with an organization uh, out here in the Fulcher area called the uh, G three hundred. Um, which is really focused on helping uh, veterans kind of reacclimate to, to the civilian life. And they're focused on like outdoor activities. Um, just those are some really good ones. There's a lot of them. Patrick, is there any particular organization that you've worked with that you would recommend for people to think about looking at? Uh, I, I mean, I've worked with a couple that aren't around anymore, but I mean, Camp Hope, Hope is a big one. Uh, I think that there's a major problem right now with uh, veteran suicides and PTSD. And I dealt with undiagnosed PTSD for years and Camp Hope focuses on that. And I think that's a major, major organization uh, for veterans that really helps them out. And they're local. Right. I know, uh, I know Russell Ibarra from um, Gringos is a big advocate for them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I try and get involved with the local VFWs. Uh, there's a few of them around uh, where I live in the restaurant. And so, um, and I'm just trying to find some local Spring Branch veteran organizations. There's a couple that we're, do, we're starting to do some work with. Jim, let me, let me just ask you, I mean, you know, going forward or maybe, do, do you have have people come to you and, you know, young kids that say, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you, what do you think? What do you tell them? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I tell everybody, Hey, look, it's, you know, it's a very personal decision. You have to decide if it's right for you. Um, I'll, I'll tell anybody that will listen that I think it's a- absolutely a good path for any young adult who is not really sure of who they are, uh, what their skills are, what their path in life is, because it gives you the opportunity to really learn about yourself. Uh, and you learn some life skills that are really, really useful going forward. Um, things like uh, discipline, um, you know, uh, drive, learning how to deal with others. Uh, um, and, you know, you can even lean, even learn some really strong leadership skills that you don't, uh, as, a, as an adult in the civilian world, you don't learn those typically until, you know, 10 years into your uh, professional career. So I, I think it's a great thing for people to do. However, you know, it, it's a very, very personal decision. You have to, you have to really understand what you're, what you're committing to, what the risk associated with it are, um, uh, and then, you know, move forward. I mean, Patrick, what, what about you? I mean, I'm sure P- 
people who are aware of your story and know that you were wounded must come to you. And what do you, what do you tell them when they ask you about, should I do this or? Um, I mean, it's kind of the same. It's just like, I can tell you my experience and I can tell you my, my thoughts on, on all of it, but it's, it's, what do you want to get out of life? What do you want to get out of the military? Um, I mean, I think about this now that, you know, Aaron, I have Wyatt, it's like in 16 years, he makes that decision. Like, what would I do? Because I wasn't supported when I joined and I had a lot of people trying to talk me out of it, uh, which kind of just made me dig my heels in deeper. Uh, so I really thought about what would I, what would I say to Wyatt? And it would be the same thing. It's like, look, here's what I went through. Here's, you know, what my friends went through. Here's what you can get out of it. Uh, I don't think I'm at where I'm at in life if I don't join the military. Uh, Even with everything that happened, I don't regret it whatsoever. Um, And like Jim said, I mean, you learn a lot of skills. If you take it seriously and and go into it with a great attitude, you're going to come out ahead of your other people your age. Um, And so it just, it set, if you do it right, it can set you on a path for a successful life. Um, Or, you know, you could just get blown up and whatever. But uh, so it's, yeah, it's kind of their decision, but I'll let them know, you know, best I can do is just tell them my experience and not try and sway them one way or the other because it's not my decision. Jim, I thought Patrick just said something really interesting, which is that he doesn't think he'd be where he is in life now without having spent time in the military. Do you, do you have that same feeling about your own life? Uh, Without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I I fully believe that, uh, you know, where I am is a a byproduct of my experience in the military and the things that I learned about myself uh, while I was in. What's the, what did you, I guess, what did you learn? Or or I I know that's a really personal question and kind of a, maybe a strange way to wrap up, but but what was the, the big lesson looking back on it? Uh, you know, I think as a high school student, I felt uh, a sense of entitlement. Um, you know, I, I was pretty, I, I was pretty bright. Uh, I wasn't a very motivated student because school, high school just didn't interest me. Um, you know, so there, the, as a result, I was pretty lazy, uh, you know, going in the military, I learned that laziness is just not something that uh, you can, you can exhibit and have any sorts of, uh, any sense of success, Um uh, you know, and I, I learned to work through that. And, uh, you know, now, now I have uh, a sense of uh, sticking to it. You know, this is our mission. We have to go. Uh, we have to keep going until we finish. You know, and I mentioned this earlier, and I've said this to many, many people. You just, you, you always put one foot in front of the other, and you keep going with your head up until you get to where you're supposed to be. Patrick, I know I, I really appreciated you sharing that thought about what you would tell your son, but maybe maybe just follow up on Jim's point and, and that'll be a good place to sort of wrap this up. But what would you, what's the big thing that you sort of took or, or how does it shape your perspective of who you are? I mean, Jim just said, you know, just put one foot in front of the other because that's the only way to get through the day and onto the next one um, in the military and in life. Right. Like, I mean, we're all going through right now. The last year and a half is absolutely sucked, but you know, it's, it, it'll get better eventually. Uh, you know, I, so you just keep slogging along and until you get to that finish line, just, uh, like in the military, right. We both served overseas and it sucked, but you know what? It came to an end. Uh, our careers came to an end and we moved on to a, a posture life, uh, less hard work. 
life, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's it. You're not going to quit to get through. I mean, to get through basic training, to get to the military, you can't quit. Uh, so you just keep pushing forward and you realize that you can dig a little deeper than you thought you could to get the job done and just to get through the hard times. And so, and for me personally, it's just like, I don't think I could ever go through a worse situation than I did. So sometimes I just remind myself that it's like, man, it might suck now, but I've definitely been through worse. So it'll be all right. Yeah. I, I guess on a lighter note, right. Cleaning grease out of a, a barbecue pit relatively speaking, isn't, isn't as bad as, as what you sort of endured and experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Just a lot of days work, you know, at least I get to go home and take a shower and drink a beer and hug my family, you know? So it's, you know, there's a lot of guys out there right now that can't do that. So, you know, there's a time where I couldn't do that. So yeah, it ain't that bad. Do you have any final thoughts? No, I don't. I'm just, you know, listening to Patrick talk about, uh, how, you know, hey, look, I've been through a whole lot worse. And I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, he sure has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, I, Patrick, I, I, I know you've told that story before on the Tales from the Pit podcast and, and some other places. And, and I, I just wasn't, uh, I, I wanted like a slightly more lighthearted uh, conversation. So I, I hope you don't feel like I, deprived you of the opportunity to tell that story again because it, it is an important story but I, I i i was looking for a slightly different perspective no no and i appreciate it and i've told that story a hundred times and on a handful of podcasts and so it just kind of would have been regurgitating the same stuff but i can give you the the quick two sentence thing i, I was blown up i died twice i'm still here so. okay <laughs> if you want to hear more, got the other podcast. I'll link. I'll link to tales from the pits. I'll make it easy for people that want to hear that want to hear yeah. the longer version of that story. Uh, yeah, that's like that's like the fundamental story of most Jewish holidays. Um, they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. Yeah, and unfortunately, you guys have a lot of holidays. So yeah, um, yeah, we can. Yeah, we're we're coming up on Hanukkah. That's that's kind of the story of Hanukkah. Yeah. So Pat, so Pat and I were talking about it uh, what, Saturday, maybe Sunday. I don't remember. I was like, man, we got to do this podcast. And I got to compete with Pat. Pat's going to talk about this story about how he was walking around holding his intestines in with his hands, trying to get to the A station. What the hell am I going to talk about? And I pleased your God edit that out. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a pretty interesting conversation this weekend. Uh, it's yeah. a hell of a story. Jim, I, 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 I mean, we, we talked in advance. I know you don't want to tell those stories. I'm sure there are stories right. that you could tell. But but we'll we'll leave those for another day or another another venue. We'll 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 sit around a table and drink some bourbon and have a, have some fun conversations. Yeah, Jim's being modest. Jim did some cool guy stuff when he was in the army, and we'll just leave it at that. Well, gentlemen, I think this is a good place to to wrap this up. Thank you for uh, thank you for rolling with me on this. Thank you for contributing. I it, it sounds trite. Thank you for your service. I don't mean it to be trite. I, I mean it to be sincere. Um, <laughs> You know, the worst part is like, I never know what to say. Like someone says, thank you for your service. Like, I don't want to say you're welcome. Cause that sounds kind of like, but like, a, sound like a dick. And then I thank you for your service. Like, Oh, thank you. Thank you for thanking me. It's always like, I never know what to say when people say that, but it's, I mean, it's always appreciated though. Yeah. I think I appreciate it is, is about the right response to that. Yeah. 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 Hey Pat, happy veterans day. Thank you for your service, brother.
You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, let's plug your businesses before you get out of here, Patrick. Give us the website and the social media for Fiji's Barbecue. Fiji's Barbecue uh, at so it's at Fiji's BBQ www.fijisbbq f e g e s. There is no apostrophe in my name, so and it's pronounced Fiji's. <laughs> Jim, how about Dozier's? Dozier's Barbecue in Folsom, Texas. Uh, www.dozierzbbq.com on social media, all platforms at Dozier's BBQ. Number 51, Texas Monthly Barbecue in the state of Texas. <laughs> Somewhere between 51 and 100. Good job. Yeah, Good job you. by you on being honorable mention. I think that's thank well you. learned. Um, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for doing this. I, again, I, I do. I feel like thanks for your service is a little bit trite, but but thank you for your service. Thank you for your friendship. And, and thank you for humoring me today. Thank you. Hey, thanks for all you do for the Houston uh, food community. Um, you do a lot. You hustle. And we all appreciate you, man. Absolutely concur with that. Well, I appreciate you saying so. All right. That does it for this week's episode. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.